Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 10. I want to read through the passage through to verse 20. It says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over, the present over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to proclaim, to boldly, in the opening of my mouth to boldly, sorry, <laughs> opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it as boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 10, again, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, to me, this verse summarizes the whole theme, the heart of what Paul is saying here to the Ephesians as he wraps up this letter. Uh, um, and he talks about the armor of God. This is a passage about finding strength. It's about finding strength in spite of our weakness. And the encouragement is, is that we be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Um, Today we're going we're gonna to travel down uh, to the States, the good old US of A, to uh, the pastor's conference. I heard a, I heard a hoo hoo from, there's some Americans in the crowd. And, um, you know, do any of you ever get nervous about crossing the border? You know, we, we've done it a few times this year because we were in the Middle East. We did Egypt and, and Israel and Jordan. And, uh, you know, I've had a few times where I've had trouble crossing the border besides the Middle East. Um, you know, one time we were, we were heading down to this conference and um, I got up, we were going through U.S. Customs in y at YVR and I got up to the counter where the customs agent was and he said, where are you off to? And I said, I'm going to a pastor's conference. And he says this to me, he says, a pastor's conference? Do you get paid for being a pastor? I'm like, uh, I'm thinking to myself, what does this have to do with uh, me crossing the border into your country? But I said, yeah, I get paid for being a pastor. Do you think there's a problem with that? I said, <laughs> or, or I just said, yes, I do get paid for being a pastor. And he jumped in and he said, I have a problem with that. I said, really? You have a problem with that? I'm like, well, what's the problem with that? Now he's piqued my interest. And uh, he said, well, I've, I see those guys on TV and the way they try to get into people's pocketbooks and and all these sorts of things. And I said, well, I can guarantee you I'm not a rich pastor. And, um, you know, most of the pastors that I know receive a, a, a fair wage for what they do. Or maybe they're underpaid, whatever it is. And, uh, and he says, well, I still have a problem with it. And he stamped my passport and in I went. And I thought, okay, whatever. 
There was another time we were, we were coming back. I was with uh, Greg Chasen, who some of you know. And Greg and I were coming up to the Aldergrove Crossing to the Canadian side. And uh, as we pulled up, I was driving this old red Chevy Cavalier that I used to have. And I said to Greg, I said, the trunk is broken, so I hope they don't ask me to open the trunk. And so we rolled up, and we get up to the window, and the Canadian guard says, open the trunk. Just like that. No, nothing else. That's when I knew. Now, oh, they do listen to your conversations in the car. And I said, I can't open the trunk. It's broken. And the guard said, oh, you're going to open the trunk. <laughs> Pull over. And uh, so I had to empty out the back seats and climb in through, pull the seat out, climb into the trunk, release it, and pop out. And then there was another time uh, I got to the border, and the officer was staring at my documents and my passport and looking me up and down. Like, this guy's like looking at my arms or something. Like, what the heck is going on? And he said to me, do you have a license for those weapons? I said, what? He said, do you have a license for those weapons? And I said, oh, you mean these guns? <laughs> okay, that's a fictitious one. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, you know, it's not, you know, my hulking physique that's going to give this away or yours, in fact, but there's a limit to our strength, isn't there? There's a limit to my strength, a limit to your strength. And in fact, as we get to know Christ and the closer we get to Christ, our weaknesses become all too very real to us, don't they? They become uh, a lot to bear sometimes. You know, Pascal said this. He said, there's two kinds of men. There are righteous men who think they are sinners and there are sinners who think that they are righteous. I want to be counted in the first. The righteous who think they are sinners counted righteous because of Christ Jesus. And see what Pascal was saying is this, is that some understand their weakness and their weakness leads them to looking for a strength outside of themselves. And that strength is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think of King David who, prior to being come, uh, king, when he had his uh, mighty men around him and the, the misfits that had joined him and he had gone off to do some battle and he came back to his, his camp and he had been raided. The wives had been taken, the goods had been taken, the children had been taken, everything they had had been taken. And David went off in search of getting everything back and as they went, some of the some of the men that were with David were too exhausted to go on and so they were left behind and as they continued to travel on, uh, some of the men began talking about stoning David and the scripture tells us that David found strength in God. That he went to the Lord and he found strength in him. And I have a limit to my strength. You have a limit to your strength but Paul tells us something here about God. That the arm of the Lord is not short. That his strength is not too little. That nothing is impossible for him. And so as you and I face things in life, as we face spiritual warfare, we need to go to the Lord for our strength and to him for the strength of his might. And Paul says that the Lord, go to him for the strength of his might. And, and might and strength, when you think about it, are really two different things. Might speaks of God's ability God has massive reservoirs of ability, of might. The scripture says that there's nothing impossible for him. 
Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine through his power that is work in us. And so there's no shortness in the arm of the Lord. There's no weakness in his strength. He can do more than we can ask or imagine. That's might. But strength or power as it's sometimes called in some, in some Bible translations is the ability to exercise might. The release of strength. The release of power. And strength is the demonstration of might. And God has the, the ability, the might to do anything. Do you believe that? As it says in Ephesians 3.20 that he has the ability to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And if you are a follower of Christ, the scripture says that power is at work in you. That strength of the Lord Jesus. He is our strong tower. And so Paul says here, he encourages us to put on the armor of God. And I, and I think about this passage, one of the things that I've been really trying to do a, a lot lately is to pray through, take time to prayerfully go through this passage of scripture and just individually put on these pieces of armor and to find strength in the Lord and the strength of his might to daily put on Christ. To me it is in a, in a picture. And, and so Paul says, you know, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's a schemer. He's crafty. He's a deceiver. He, he, some translations say the wiles of the devil that you may be able to stand against that cunning uh, devices that he uses. You know, we have an enemy in Satan. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Jesus said there's no truth in him. That when he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. And his goal is this, is to lead you and I into this place of ineffectiveness for the kingdom. A place of defeat. A place of personal discouragement. Where we've lost our hope. But the scripture says this, is that the Lord has not left us defense, defenseless. We read here that Paul says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, it's important for us to realize this, that you and I are involved in a spiritual battle. We forget that. We become numb to that. It's not a battle that is against flesh and blood. It's not a battle against people. You know, Satan often likes to hide behind people or use them as his pawns. He likes to lead us to a place where we think that we're battling against flesh and blood. But this struggle that we're in, this wrestling match that we're in, is, is a spiritual battle. Hand-to-hand -hand combat, in a sense. We fight against the world. We fight against the desires of our flesh. We fight against the devil and Satan uses the external forces of the world. He uses the internal desires of my flesh to, to, to wear us down and to defeat us. And it's a, it's a great plan. And you know, when you think about it, when you think about the work of Satan, it's, it's really brilliant on his part. You know, we're, we're matched up against a heavyweight opponent. Until we begin to rely on the strength and the might that that Jesus makes available to us and then the scales are pitted in our favor. The victory is in our hands through the Lord. You're in a spiritual battle. And you know, as I, as I 
read this, I think, wow, I always need to be reminded of the nature of conflict often that's in my life. We're involved in spiritual battle. And so Paul says, therefore, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, without the protection of God's armor, it's impossible for us to stand against this spiritual enemy. And so Paul says, take the, the belt of truth. Stand therefore and having, having fastened on the belt of truth. You know, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said in John 17 verse 7, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 8 verse 31 and 32, he said, uh, to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, sorry, wrong one, if you abide in me, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, truth sets you free. That's why it's the first piece of armor that goes into its place, the belt of truth. It holds all things together. And yet it's not a belt of bondage. It's a belt of freedom. And we, we're to take truth and we're to wrap it around ourselves. We close the loop. We buckle up. Secure it in place. You know, like this belt that I'm wearing, it's no good unless I buckle up. And to me, that's the interesting thought about truth, you know. That it's put in its place. It's, the belt is closed. And truth does not move. Truth is not relative. We do not consider truth in relation or in proportion to something else. It's not that, you know, you have your truth and I have my truth and they have their truth and over there they have their truth. Truth, we find out in the scripture, truth is found in a person. Truth is a person. And truth has a name. This name is Jesus. You remember when Jesus stood before Pilate and the accusations were flying against Jesus and Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? And Jesus said to Pilate, he said, I am a king and I came into the world to testify to the truth and everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You know, way back uh, in the day when when Lisa and I uh, were just getting married before and not long after we were married, I worked for this moving company and uh, my boss was a great guy. He was a believer. We had a lot of fun together. And um, he was kind of for the company that we worked with, the, the couch specialist. Um, when we were downtown Vancouver and there was some large sofa that wouldn't fit in an elevator or wouldn't go up the stairwell, uh, they would call him and he would set up and what we would do is we'd go into this condo or apartment or whatever. He'd go out onto the deck and he'd take the rail and he'd give it a good shake, see if he could break it loose. And I don't know what, it happened if, what would have happened if it broke loose, but I don't think that was a work safe uh, procedure there. But that's what he would do. And then we'd get set up. We'd throw the ropes down over the side of the building and we'd hoist the couch up the outside of the building and over the railing. And I always liked the role of standing back and making sure all the lines were clear and not getting caught in people's feet and not standing near the edge. And uh, 
we'd move these couches. But one of the things we used to do is piano moving. And when we would move the piano, he would toss us this, this belt, this moving belt. You know, it kind of had straps over the shoulders um, and a, and a uh, kind of a spandex kind of waistband that would go around your kidneys. You'd do it up almost like a, a weightlifting belt. And this thing was amazing. You'd put it on and instantly you're like 30% stronger. When you're done, done and you were all finished and you take this belt off, you think, oh man, I feel just, I almost like to put that thing on because it feels like good support. And it was amazing how much support you received from this belt. And think about the belt of truth. It's a belt that wraps around us and it supports us. It strengthens the core. I think about the athlete concerned with, the, with his core strength. The belt of truth strengthens your core. The belt of truth strengthens your backbone. With the belt of truth in place, you can carry extra weight. God can say, here, let's put this on you because you can bear more weight because your life has truth wrapped around it. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And you know that in, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 9, Jesus is called by this name, faithful and true. His name is true. One of the many names of Jesus, so simple and yet so packed with so much meaning, his name is true. And so when we put on the belt of truth, we're putting on Christ. He says about the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is not something in my mind that's a one-size-fits-all sort of thing. A breastplate for a soldier is formed. It's fitted. It's molded specifically to fit the individual who will wear it. And the breastplate protects this area of the chest and the internal organs and I think especially of the heart. It's a place of protecting the heart. We know what the scripture says that the heart is the wellspring of life. It's the seat of our emotions. It's, it's beating is our life. And is the, it is also the, the seat of my decision making. You know, this, the scripture tells us that decisions are made in the heart. That the mouth speaks from the heart. And the ruling factor that, that should protect this decision making process and the things that come, even come out of my mouth is the, not the righteousness of this heart, but the righteousness that it puts on when it puts on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, Pascal said this, there are only two kinds of men. The righteous who think they are sinners and sinners who think they are righteous. You know, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus is called by this title, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Isaiah, in Isaiah 59, you'll read about Jesus in the prophecies of Isaiah, and it says this, that, that the righteousness of Jesus upholds him. It says that he put righteousness on as a breastplate, and he put salvation as a helmet on his head. It says that in Isaiah 59, verse 17. Now if this breastplate of righteousness that we're talking about was based on our own individual righteousness, there'd be flaws in the armor. 
But the righteousness that we put on is not our righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And there is no flaw in his righteousness. There is no flaw in Jesus. When his character was uh, uh, assassinated and they tried to uh, poke holes in him, what? They could find nothing wrong with him. I find no flaw in him. No error in him. You know what Jeremiah said about Jesus? He called him the righteous branch. And he said that in eternity, in the future, in the millennium, when we're with Jesus, we will call him by this name. Jehovah Sidkanah, the Lord my righteousness. And so without the protection of the righteousness of Jesus, the reality is, is I'm dead. My heart is exposed. The unrighteousness of my heart leads me ill-equipped for spiritual battle. And so I need the righteousness of Christ to be put on my life. And so I put the righteousness of Jesus on. And putting on the breastplate of righteousness really is this. It means to, to put on Jesus Christ. Paul talks about shoes for your feet. Readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, I'm, I'm a shoe person. I like shoes. Um, my kids like to harass me because I have more shoes than my wife. It's just the truth. I'll fess up in front of you. There's not much I can do about it. It's a genetic flaw, right, Mom? <laughs> that I inherited from my mother. Any other shoe people out there? Yes, all right. I know Will's a shoe guy. I often compliment Will on his shoes. Um, you know, it's interesting. Not that I want to be sacrilegious, but Jesus is a shoe guy. When he equips us, he equips us with right footwear for the task. He supplies the appropriate footwear. I, I, I work safe certified for the battlefield. And under our feet, we bind readiness given by the gospel of peace, Paul says. The gospel of peace, the good news. The good news that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ is what enables us to stand. That's what we stand upon, the gospel of peace, as we deal with things in warfare. And our peace with God becomes for us, think about it, the point of separation from this world. Between me and this world is these shoes, the gospel of peace that I stand upon, that you stand upon. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of it because we stand on shoes that are fit with the gospel of peace. You know, the gospel's firm, fitting, uh, firm footing for those who believe, isn't it? You know, when you put the shoes of the gospel on your feet, these shoes of peace, and, and you have put on the readiness given by the gospel, no longer are you standing unsecured. No longer will your foot slip. No longer do you need to guess where to place your foot. For those who stand on the gospel of peace, the ground is secure. And the Lord directs our steps. And necessary for peace with God is the putting on of Christ. The message of peace with God is good news. He is our peace. Do you know that if you cruise the New Testament, uh, you can find in every New Testament book an association of the name Jesus with the word peace. Every single New Testament book. 
After he had risen from the dead, Jesus' most common greeting when he met up with his disciples and he ran into them or appeared in the room with them was this, peace be with you. John 14 verse 27, Jesus said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know what Isaiah called Jesus? The Prince of Peace. And I just, I love this picture here. When you think about this footwear that, that the gospel binds even the dirtiest parts of our lives. Our feet. The gospel brings the dirtiest parts of our life into a relationship with our father. You know, think of Moses. When he became, he came before the bush, what did the Lord say to him speaking through that bush? Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. Moses is living in the desert. He's walking in the dust, dust of the earth and, and, and God says to Moses, expose the dirtiest part of your life in my presence. See, God wants to meet the dirtiest parts of our lives with his holiness. Shoes of the gospel for your feet. And the good news touches those dirty uh, parts of our lives. The good news makes those dirty parts of our lives a place of peace. Where we have uh, the peace of God and peace with God. And I find it interesting that, that feet are associated with the spreading of the good news. You know, as it says in the Old Testament, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Feet, feet to me are like, you know, the ugliest part of the body, maybe. I don't know. Mine are. You know, yeah. Feet. The dirtiest part of your life. And Paul says this, the dirtiest part of your life when the gospel touches it becomes a place where you can share Jesus Christ. You know, I would encourage you, be vulnerable about your life. Be vulnerable with people about the dirty areas where the gospel has touched it and transformed it. Tell people what Jesus has done. Because they have dirty areas. They need to hear how Christ has changed those parts in your life. The shield of faith. He says in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You know when I read that the first thing that strikes me about this shield of faith is the timing in which we use it. It says in all circumstances. You never know when an attack will come. So we need to pack the shield of faith in all circumstances everywhere we go. Because Satan has his fiery darts. Doubt. Discouragement. Depression. Disillusionment. Desire. And Paul says this, that the shield of faith is an extinguisher. See, what Satan wants to do is he wants to start a fire in your life. He wants to start a, a fire that a fire of discouragement and depression and all these things where it just gets you off track. And the shield of faith is an extinguisher. I think about the shield. It's out front in front of all of the armor pieces except for the sword. The word of God's the first line of defense. And faith is right there next to it. 
And we are called to the life of faith. And faith is this. Faith, faith makes a decision to face everything in life and everything that life throws at you with an assurance of things hoped for. With a conviction of things not yet seen. The scripture tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. And so the shield of faith has to go everywhere. In all circumstances. And what pleases God is when we come to him with that heart of faith. When we have an assurance regarding our hope. When we have an assurance in the midst of any circumstances that we will say this. I will hope in the name of Jesus Christ. I am counting on your name. I will trust in your promise. I will put my faith in you. And faith extinguishes those darts of the devil. You know, again, Jesus is called faithful and true. His name is faithful. Old faithful. That's Jesus. You might picture something else in your mind when you say old faithful. A geyser, right? But I would encourage you, when, when you think of old faithful, let Jesus come to your mind. And so we put on faith. We take up the shield of faith and that is to put on Christ. We look to Jesus, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Then there's the helmet of salvation. Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. Salvation is a helmet. Salvation is the protector of my head. Salvation is the guardian of my mind. Thoughts of salvation are the custodian. Keeps things in order and in place and clean and tidy. Salvation protects my mind from the lies of the devil. From the evil one. You know I love that when we are outfitted with the whole armor of God. When you think about it we're protected from the top of our head to the sole of our foot. The gospel of peace has my feet and the helmet of salvation has my, my head. Anybody like a good sandwich? I like a good sandwich. Two nice pieces of bread with everything layered in the middle. Lots of meat, lots of veggies. I go to Subway, I say chuck in extra olives. I like a loaded sandwich. But, you know, what's a sandwich without bread? You know, we had salmon burgers last night. My wife had it on lettuce. I'm like, doesn't do it for me. There's got to be bread for a good sandwich. And it's awesome that, the, that this armor, we're, we're, we're sandwiched between the gospel of peace that has our feet and the helmet of salvation that has our mind. The mind is a control center, a command center for life. And it's to be ruled by thoughts of salvation. You know, when your mind is running to and fro and here and there, just say, Lord, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm going to think about the gospel. I'm going to think about what the cross has accomplished. I'm going to be, I'm going to set my mind on these things. You know, the name given to Jesus is Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation. His name is salvation. And we put on the helmet of salvation. That is to put on Christ. Take the helmet of salvation. And then Paul says. And the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. John said this. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was 
sorry, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You know, we, we say here all the time at our church, right? We love the written word because the written word leads us to what? The living word, Jesus Christ. And a sword is such a great picture for the word of God. You know, a sword takes its sharp edge and it cuts. In Hebrews it says this, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, when you go into battle with a sword, in physical battle with a sword, and a sword clashes with another sword, and a sword clashes with armor, it gets dull. And it's got to be sharpened. But the word of God is the opposite when you think of it as a sword. The word of God gets sharper the more use it gets in our lives. And God's word is a discerner of the heart. It discerns the heart and it divides things of the flesh and things of the spirit. It trims off the life of the flesh and it brings forth the work of the spirit in our lives. And, and it does not return void, but it accomplishes the purposes for which God has sent it. And so when we take hold of the sword of the spirit, uh, we, yeah, we, we take hold of the sword of the spirit with our, with our hand. We, we grip it, like Jesus said. If you hold to my teaching... We hold to the words of King Jesus. And we must learn to strengthen our grip on the word. Great Old Testament Bible story of a man named Eleazar, one of, one of David's mighty men. Scripture says that he rose and he began to strike down the Philistines until his hand became weary. And yet even in his weariness, he clung to the sword. He would not let it go. And God brought victory. And Eliezer was weary, but in the midst of his weariness, he did not loosen his grip. And if you're weary, don't loosen your grip. But hold on tighter. You know, as you read that story, it's like something almost miraculous seems to happen. It doesn't tell us, but it's like, it's like God welds his hand to the sword as he tightens the grip and says, I will not let go to the sword. God strengthens the grip. You know, when the devil fires those darts, he does so from a distance. You know, you can, you can fire an arrow from quite a distance and hit a target. But a sword's a different type of weapon. A sword isn't something that's used from a distance. A sword is a weapon that you get up close with, you get personal with. The, the sword, with a sword in your hand, you look your enemy in the eyes. The sword of the spirit looks the, the enemy of the Lord in the eyes and the, the, the sword of the spirit gets into the grill of the flesh. The sword of the spirit, you know, stands there and says, you will go no further, fleshly man, spiritual warfare. And I love that in the scripture, we just see very clearly that Jesus is the word of God. He is the word made flesh. And to take up the sword of the spirit is to put on Christ. And so as we think about these armor pieces, we got, we got a belt of truth. Jesus' name is true. The belt is for, for freedom and strength. We've got a breastplate of righteousness. 
Jesus is Jehovah Sidkana, the Lord our righteousness. And that breastplate is for protection and perfection. We have shoes fit with readiness for the gospel of peace. Uh, those, those shoes make us ready and they separate us from this world. And I think about Jesus. He's our Prince of Peace. A shield of faith for pleasing God and for extinguishing the fiery darts of the devil. In Jesus' name, his name is Faithful. The helmet of salvation for a Christ-centered command center. And Jesus, he is Yeshua, the Lord, our salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, the word of God to bring forth the work of the Spirit. And Jesus is the word made flesh. And so as we, we go through these, what we see is we're putting on this, these articles of armor. We're, we're putting on the life of Christ. We're putting on Jesus. Let us put on all that he provides for us and be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You know, as you put on the armor, one of the things that you'll find is you just want to pray after you just want to continue to pray and pray in the things of the Spirit. Paul also says this, and also in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it as boldly as I ought to speak. We circled the wagon right back around this morning. Paul started with this thought. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There's no weakness in the Lord. And I don't know where you're at, where your heart is at today, but I want to encourage you to do what David did. Find strength in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in him and in the power of his might. Know that God has the ability to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Amen? Let's pray this morning. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me and I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that that as we come to you in faith, that salvation is just the start of the work that you want to do in our lives. It's, it's not the end, it's the beginning. And Lord, we thank you for the ways that you desire us to grow, to grow in faith, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to be men and women who, uh, who find our strength in you, Lord, who come to you for your might, who uh, look to you in the midst of conflict and in, in the midst of our needs. And so, Lord, we, today we just take the time to put you on, Jesus, to put on Christ, to put on the armor of God. And I thank you, Lord, that your word tells us that after having done all, we will stand. And so, Lord, thank you for equipping us for the battle. Let's pray for your people this morning, Lord, 
that you'd strengthen, that you'd encourage them, that in the midst of the battles that they're in, Lord, that they would find strength in you and in the power of your might. In God's name, amen.